1: Hi, I'm Don Braid, the Herald political columnist, and I'm with Chris Varco, uh, the Herald's business political columnist. We have interesting crossovers between us. Um, and this is Inside Alberta, our first edition of 2019. We've had a bit of a break here, but we are back for what is going to be a very interesting year in Alberta politics. And Chris, uh, you know, we've seen this stuff about Kenny, all kinds of attacks on Kenny, attacks on Notley. There's no question that the NDP sees their main opportunity in presenting Notley as a popular, friendly um, leader that people like against Kenny, who they're trying to tear down. Um, I don't know what you think, but I think some of the stuff about the housing, it's so arcane and so complicated. If you want to know how hard it is to figure out who's what in this thing, just read the House of Commons rules, because one paragraph will contradict another. How does an MP from Alberta live in alberta most of the time or particularly a minister from alberta that's right. what that's what it demands for print it's just all like that and the coverage included a lot of people saying that holy smokes, kenny lived in this place and he couldn't have lived in his mother's basement because these places have no basement but it turns out the place did have a basement so uh the main theme here is drip 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 try to destroy reputations and Notley is the the UCP certainly tries to do it to not leave it, although not with quite the same vigor, it has to be said. And um, basically the NDP is hoping for an election campaign in which uh, they will be competing against, their popular premier competing against a diminished UCP leader, whether it's going to work or not, I'm not at all sure. I don't think the polls are showing anything of the sort. What do you think about it all?
0: Well, there's a couple things that really um, stand out for me. Number one is the fact that there's going to be a yin and yang in this campaign about policy versus personality. And, and I think the, uh, the UCP want to fight this on the, on the policy front, particularly the economic policy front, because I think that's where most Albertans' concerns lie, is with the state of the economy, yep. about jobs, about future employment and investment, and where this province is headed economically. On the flip side, I think the NDP really do want to fight this on the terrain of who makes a better leader, who would be a better premier, whose values align more closely with the average Albertan. And that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out I think what we've seen in this last two or three weeks here, in this very new year, is just a prelude for about six weeks of a struggle between these two narratives. No,
1: I think you've got it exactly right. And and uh, the, the Kenny and the UCP do think that the overriding concern, the concern that gets you out of a lot of things like this, a lot of allegations like this is the economic one and that they're on the right side of that allegation. I don't mean to suggest for a second that if there is genuine misbehavior uh, about uh, allowances, uh, those rich federal allowances for housing and all the rest of it, it shouldn't be looked into. I'm just saying that I've looked at all the information. I've I've looked at uh, the documents and all the rest of it, and I really can't decide whether Kenny did anything wrong or not. If he did do something wrong, it's fairly minor, but that doesn't even matter. As I said, it's drip, drip. It's like the old Chinese water torture, right? Well, you know, we're going to have the house sitting uh, starting on March the 18th. This is all prelude, and one of the fascinating things about this is this is hot pre-election period and it is hot in some considerable measure because of the new financing rules. The parties can spend two million dollars during right. the campaign, right? Only two million dollars, but they can spend any amount before. Well we know that the NDP raised almost four million last year, the UCP raised almost six million, so what they're doing is they're starting to spend it already. And the, Alberta, the UCP's got their Alberta Strong and Free campaign.
0: They're on TV all the time.
1: Exactly. You can't watch a hockey game without seeing a lot of UCP, that's for sure. And uh, so we've, we're already into this campaign at a much earlier phase than most. Well, the House resumes the 18th of March. The question becomes, when is the election? Well, the election campaign is 28 days. The most likely scenario, in my view, and if I'm wrong, please forget this, portion of this broadcast <laughs> entirely, uh, that, that on either the 18th, most likely the 19th, the, they'll do the throne speech, and then they'll go to the lieutenant governor and drop the writ for an election that will be held in mid-April, because it's got to be 28 days. Now, the, the other thing they can do is go into the House Uh, do the throne speech, the House sits, debate the throne speech, but then you start facing calls for a budget. And I don't think they want to go into this with a budget.
0: I agree with you 100%. I suspect here that the math in the last three months for the Department of Finance has gotten ugly. The differential blew out. We saw back in the the last couple of months of the year before curtailment, Mm -hmm. we saw $50 differentials. That saps a huge amount of royalty revenues out of the government's finances. We've also seen the unemployment issues, um, layoffs in the oil patch, diminished capital spending. None of these things point in a very positive direction Mm -hmm. for the budget, which obviously tracks back several months. So I, I don't see what the upside is for the NDP to bring down a budget. Um, and I suspect there's a lot of downside. So I think you're right. I don't think we're seeing a budget. I think we're going to get a throne speech. And I think we're going to be hitting yeah, the hustings yeah. almost immediately.
1: Yeah, and the, the, um, the thing is that if you don't have a budget, you also have more flexibility as a leader in the campaign. You can adapt your promises or come up with new promises to suit what your polls are showing you. And I think the NDP wants to be totally free. Uh, but there, it's not that there won't be any accountability. Of course, there is the uh, the f- uh, fourth quarter financials coming right. on February the 28th, which are going to show. And when I talk to the Democrats about this and what they're thinking about, they're they're, they're suggesting that they, you know, basically the public's going to get a really good accounting of what the financial picture is right there. And, and that kind of implies that you don't need to, to go uh, with the budget. But, you know, on the other, other, other hand, <laughs> you know, the NDP's only nominated 37 people. There's... 87 ridings in this province, and they've only nominated 37. The UCP's got 79 as of to this day. Uh, they've got to do all that. Uh, they're going to have lots of ridings where people don't have boots on the ground, obviously knocking on doors already. They're, they're really strangely unprepared for a government party.
0: For a party which gets the set the election, mm-hmm. you would think that they would be on a, on a more solid, firmer Footing. And I'm also kind of surprised here that we're seeing even like cabinet ministers like Sandra Jansen now saying you know that they're not going to run again. It just seems like a very late time uh-huh. in the in in you know the end days of sort of this term for a cabinet minister to not. Yeah, go that that
1: was surprising. And Sandra Jansen is a very important. Uh, a local politician. For one thing, she's one of only two uh, NDP ministers who have much profile at all in Calgary. One of them is CeCe, right. Joe CeCe, the finance minister, and his isn't always that positive, according to many. Uh, and and Jansen is in charge of uh, the Calgary Counselor Hospital and the Tsutina Ring Road. Those are big responsibilities and suddenly um well, she's she's leaving. So uh I I just find it most peculiar and you can't help but thinking when you get those two plus three other MLAs all young, all with big careers ahead of them. Right. Uh, the, the the obvious impression in the public is gonna be they just think they're gonna lose, so they're just dropping out.
0: Yeah, and these aren't long term politicians uh other than Sandra Jansen. You know, when yeah. we talk about Stephanie McLean or Brandy Payne, these aren't people who've been around for three or four terms like you might normally see you know, not running again. Uh, You know, when we saw that with the Tories, these are people who've only been in there for three and a half years, four years. You know, you might
1: also consider the fact that most of them never thought they were going to get elected (laughs) in the first place. and, And some of them, therefore, may have discovered that being in government uh, they hadn't really thought about what that was going to be like. And the reality is it's damned hard. Now, I'm not saying that any of them quit because the job was too tough for them, but maybe it's just not their aptitude. They only ran to show the NDP flag, and here they are with this $130,000 job. Damn, how do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so there's lots of stuff happening on the business front. Certainly, Notley is, is madly trying to convince us we're going to have a diversified economy uh, by election day, and what what do you think about her many uh, announcements on that front?
0: Well, we saw the big announcement, you know, earlier this week was a 440 million dollar loan guarantee for a company which wants to build a partial upgrader up in the Heartland uh, region uh, near Edmonton. Uh, I think you're going to hear three words. Uh, being beaded like a like a drum over the next six to eight weeks and that is made in alberta rachel notley wants to define that her government is trying to go back to the law roots of trying to create new industries new value-added industries in energy and a 440 million dollar loan guarantee to partial upgrading uh for some people is going to be very attractive you know this is an investment in new technology which can potentially benefit the entire industry you know it'll free up space on pipelines it'll Mm -hmm. reduce emissions these are good things but with every reward there is a risk and the risk is a 440 million Mm dollar loan guarantee to a project which is going to be about two billion Mm dollars and we've seen this government also make commitments to provide I think it's about three billion dollars to various economic diversification efforts on the energy frontal loan including things like petrochemicals and new gas facilities I'm gonna predict that Jason Kenney is gonna talk about this picking you know this yeah. this effort's being picking winners and losers yeah. in the energy sector.
1: You know I, there's a kind of air of desperation about it, and I think what happened is that the NDP has always wanted to do this. The NDP has always talked about. Diversifying about more petrochemicals and all yes. the rest of it. And they certainly talked about it in the last election campaign. And then for everybody got stuck on the pipeline, right? The pipeline just took over everything. The things they're doing now, if they'd done them two years ago when they were starting to bear some economic fruit and people could see the projects were actually like might actually help them politically. But as a consequence of the pipeline and then the horrible court disaster last August 30th when the thing was stopped, then they start ramping this up as a major part of their campaign platform. Now, Notley uh, spoke in Edmonton to the Heartland Group last week, and she got no response when right. she mentioned all this stuff. It's like people said, sort of saying, like, "What? You know, okay, you're saying all this, but you're not going to win, so why should we even care? It was remarkable to hear her talking about literally $50 billion of potential investment to the people who do that stuff, the Heartland <laughs> industrial stakeholders and all the rest of it, and nobody Nobody said a thing. Nobody applauded.
0: Well, and Remarkable. I, you, you, the other thing, and you point this out, is that this is really a two-pronged approach. One is the short term. The other one's the long term. The long term is energy diversification in areas like petrochemicals and you know, using the natural gas liquids and partial upgrading. But those things don't provide benefits for years and exactly. decades. Pipelines are the immediate issue, and right now they haven't made any progress. Yeah.
1: So there's uh, the first campaign platform out of the gate comes from the Calgary Chamber of Commerce. And it matters because it's a representation of the business community that's in such a slump here. Uh, What do you think of that, what they said?
0: Well, I I think, and just to be fair, there's been three business groups which have actually put their ore in the water here in the last uh, little while to spell out what they want. So we've got the Alberta Chambers of Commerce, which represents all the chambers. We've got the Calgary Chamber. We've also seen the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers put out their own platform on what they want to see. And they have a very bold vision for increasing oil and gas production. They want to see not one or two or three new pipelines built on, but six. We can't get one across the finish line. Imagine trying to get six across the finish line. So it's an aspirational goal. Um, We've also seen both the Calgary Chamber and CAP say that they want to see a return to a uh, lower corporate income tax rate. Of course, mm-hmm. one of Rachel Notley's campaign promises during the last campaign was to increase corporate uh, income tax rates from 10% to 12%. So I think you're going to hear a fair bit about that. We, we don't know yet what the UCP is going to do. Um this is a government, whoever is going to be in government, you know, in the next few weeks, who's going to deal with a huge deficit. So can you afford to be giving up that revenue? That's That'll be an interesting question to watch.
1: Oh, well, okay, to, to finish up, now are we ready to predict the election?
0: Yet? I am never ready to predict an election never. because I'm almost inevitably wrong. So I will leave that to you.
1: Well, you could say it and then we know who's <laughs> going to win because you'd be wrong. But I'm not ready yet either uh mo- many people would say that's goofy because the polls and all the indicators are the u c p will win but I had one former p c say to me, this feels like the two thousand and twelve election when the p c s went into the race uh way way behind, and then came the lake of fire, the white man's burden, Danielle Smith denied climate change, and the whole thing flipped in the final week so but we will eventually right we will predict <laughs> exactly won't <we>? and i <laughs>
0: also point out who would have thought four years ago, when, after Jim Prentice had brought down his own budget and was a double-digit lead heading into the 2015 campaign, that that's his right. entire support would collapse despite him having a huge spending advantage. So expect the unexpected, Don. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure.
1: It will be some year. We'll be back next week. Bye.
0: Goodbye.